0: Please rise for the reading of God's Word from First Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Hear now God's Word. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. You may be seated. Two Sundays ago I introduced the subject of learning contentment. That was followed last week with a closer look at learning to be content with our positions, our place in life, and now we want to turn our focus on how to learn to be content with our possessions. As we consider the place of material possessions, it's critical that we avoid the ancient heresy of Gnosticism which divides the material world and the spiritual world with the former being evil and the latter being good. The Bible says that God made the world and he pronounced it to be good. And we too should affirm that goodness and acknowledge that it is certainly the case that there is something now wrong with the world. And what's wrong with the world, as we have pointed out recently, is sin. Specifically, our sins. It's interesting that Adam, the word Adam, comes from the Hebrew word, uh, which means man or hu- human or humanity. It was, cre- and, and that he was created from the dust of the earth. And that word for dirt or dust is, is Adam, Adama. And that's where we get this word Adam. Adam, the man, is made from the ground. We ourselves are material things. There is no sin in enjoying the things that God has made. These are material blessings. However, there's plenty of sin in us which can pervert those good things and use them for other purposes. And so this sermon is focused on the necessity of a right relationship with material possessions and how to learn to be content with the things that we have. So it's us that's the problem, not the things. Our text does not say that money is the root of all evil. That's commonly cited that way. What it is clear about is it says that it's the love of money That is the root of all kinds of evil. When we make money or anything else an idol, trouble begins. And so there's a right way and a wrong way to hold our possessions. Jesus says in Luke 14, 33, that the starting place of following Him, He talks about deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Me, and you should hate father, mother, brother, sister, uh, so there's this denial of yourself, this denial of your other relationships. And then he says, and if you do not give up all of your possessions, you cannot be my disciple. Those are some pretty stark demands. Self-denial, denial of my relationships, and denial of all my material possessions. But what's glorious as we continue to read the Scripture is we find that if we do that, if we bow the knee to Christ and His Lordship, and we say, not my will, but Your will be done, Lord, what does He do? He sends us back to ourselves. He sends us back to our families and friends. He sends us even back to our material possessions with a new relationship. How to embrace them in a thankful way. How to Hold those possessions with an open hand. The Westminster Larger Catechism asks, in, starting in question 146 through 148, which is the Tenth Commandment? And the answer, the Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. What are the duties required in the 10th commandment? The duties required in the 10th commandment are such as a full contentment with our condition and such a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor as that all our inward emotions and affections touching him, concerning him, tend unto and further all that, all that good which is his. What are the sins forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? The sins forbidden in the Tenth Commandment are discontentment with our own estate, envying and grieving at the good of our neighbors, together with all inordinate emotions and affections to anything that is His. We live in the most prosperous generation in history, by far. Where we live in the 21st century and particularly in the United States of America, we live actually in the lap of luxury. Technology, health, comfort, productivity with all the incredible number of things. Most of us live better than kings lived a couple hundred years ago. In an article written by a 26 year old MBA grad student, uh, she points out, and Marinell showed this to me last night, and so I grabbed it and stuck it in here this morning because, uh, it fit. And here's what she said. We are so well off here in the United States that our poverty line begins 31 times above the global average. 31 times. Virtually no one in the United States is considered poor by global standards, yet in a time where we can order a product off Amazon with one click and have it on our doorstep the next day, we are unappreciative, unsatisfied, and ungrateful. We are so very frequently discontent. The more we have, the more we want. Like a nation of spoiled brats, we are prone to whine and complain. And it's not just, and it's not that any of us are poor, though some of us pretend to be. It's just that somebody has more than I do. Which makes me discontent with what I have. I jokingly was somewhere the other day. We were somewhere shopping and walked into a store and, and the clerk says, you know, can I help you? I said, no, I came in here to find out what it was I needed that I didn't know I needed. Um, and so we're just surrounded with this abundance. But there is this false hope that is promoted, sometimes directly and sometimes subtly, that happiness comes through prosperity. As, as rock star Madonna saying, I'm a material girl in a material world. There is even a prosperity gospel that teaches that people, teaches people that God wants to make you materially prosperous if you'll just let him. Businesses, through advertising, are constantly luring us to spend more and more in order to enjoy the good life. Right now, as usual, like clockwork, all the politicians are lined up promising more stuff if only you'll vote for them. Most economic ideologies range range the entire political spectrum Promise material prosperity that will wipe away all your tears. Willing to mortgage our children's future in order to have it all now. And in so doing, we have become an age of idolaters. This is surface happiness that betrays reality. An idolater's pursuit of wealth and possessions is in fundamental disagreement with the warning that Jesus gave when He said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The Christian position from the beginning has been that people are satisfied by by becoming reconciled to God, not by acquiring material wealth. Contentment comes as we realize that God is ultimately all that we really need and that He will never leave us or forsake us. We can be satisfied in Him knowing that He is the supplier of all of our physical and spiritual needs. Hebrews 13.5 says, Be content with such things as you have, for He Himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Philippians 4.19 My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You see, idolatry is trusting people or possessions to do for me the things that only God can do. Some people... I'm afraid some of us are fair-weather friends to God. Like Israel, when things are going poorly, we're very zealous and dedicated believers. But as soon as our condition improves, we're on our own. We're off to the races. You know that story about the man that was on a very steep roof. He was working and he began to slide. And so he cried out to God, save me. And right as he cried out, his belt loop caught on a nail and he stopped and he looked back up to heaven and said, "Never mind. We're that way frequently." So some people, again, are fair weather friends. Uh, is and so our financial success and possessions can't give us what we're looking for. And I do remember some years ago. I think I've shared this before. Been twenty something years ago. Uh, there used to be, on cable TV, uh, the Biography Channel, and they did a whole week-long series on what they called name-brand millionaires. And it was the biography of these families, like the DuPonts or the Hershey's and others. These massive mansions, massive wealth, and every one of the stories was a tragedy, a family tragedy. I mean, of all sorts. It was just, there was nothing, it seemed to be nothing but misery. I have a, a friend who came from a very fa- a famous and wealthy family. And when he became a Christian in college, they disowned him. And uh, when his grandfather died, he was entitled to millions of dollars in inheritance. And he said, I didn't, I didn't accept it. He said, that money has destroyed our family. It had brought nothing but pain and misery, and I want nothing to do with it. Um, You'll remember, many of you, I know I've read it before, but it's such a powerful illustration, is uh, Edward Arlington Robinson's uh, 1897 poem, Richard Corey. Uh, Simon Garfunkel recorded a version of this. And the poem says, whenever Richard Corey went downtown, we people on the pavement looked at him. He was a gentleman from soul to crown, clean, favored, and imperially slim. And he was always quietly arrayed, and he always, it was always human when he talked. But still, he fluttered pulses when he said, good morning. And he glittered when he walked. And he was rich, yes, richer than a king and admirably schooled in every grace In fine. We thought that he was everything to make us wish that we were in his place. So we worked and waited for the light and went without the meat and cursed the bread. And Richard Cory, one calm summer night, went home and put a bullet in his head. Hollywood's full of stories like that, just as an example of tragedies from the wealthy, from people who have everything and yet seem to have nothing. Our text, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Lust means an improper or inordinate desire. A snare is a trap in which a bird or a small animal is captured when it goes for the bait. The bait is usually legitimate food, nothing wrong with the food in itself, but not noticing the hidden snare that surrounds the bait, the animal is suddenly trapped. So God made the material world good, but Satan perverts it to our destruction and those possessions that may look good to you and may even be legitimately good in and of themselves, but then comes lust and inordinate desire and greed, and your heart may cause you to walk into a trap. The very nature of a trap is that it's hidden. It's unexpected. If you're not looking for it, you don't intend on getting caught in the devil's snare, but then again, who does? It's ancient. Those who read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress remember that scene where Pilgrim uh, and Christian are walking together, excuse me, Christian and Faithful are walking together and they come upon Vanity Fair. And I'll just read this section. He said, Then I saw in my dream that when they had come out of the wilderness, they presently saw a town before them, and the name of that town is Vanity. And at the town there is kept... A fair is kept called Vanity Fair, and it's kept there all year long. It bears the name of Vanity Fair because the the town where it is kept is lighter than vanity and also because all that is sold there or that comes there is vanity. And as the saying of the wise, all that comes is vanity. This fair is no new erected business, but a thing of ancient standing. And I will tell you the origin of it. Almost 5,000 years ago, there were pilgrims walking to the celestial city, as these two honest persons are, and the Apollyon, and Legion with their companions, perceiving by the path that the pilgrims made that their way to the city lay through this town of vanity. They contrived here to set up a fair, a fair wherein should be sold all sorts of vanity. "...and that it should last all year long. Therefore at this fair are all such merchandise sold as houses, lands, trades, places, honors, awards, titles, countries, kingdoms, lust, pleasures, and delights of all sorts, as whores, brothels, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and what not." And moreover, at this fair, there is at all times to be seen juggling cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind. Here are also to be seen, and that for nothing, theft, murders, adulteries, liars, and that of a blood-red color. There are many examples in Scripture of how riches caused many to sin. It caused the rich young ruler to hold his head down in shame and turn away from Christ. It caused the rich fool to deceive himself to think all was well and then his soul was required of him that night. It caused the rich man to neglect, to neglect Lazarus. It caused Judas to betray his master and commit suicide. It caused Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the Holy Spirit. Material things become bait which lure you away from true godliness that seeks first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and so your mind ceases to be set on eternity and and then comes the next step or the progression or we might say the digression into ruin. Second, From our text, the desire for riches provokes many foolish and harmful lusts. Think about how many sins people commit in their drive to attain wealth. you think anybody ever neglects their duties to their families? To their wives and children? Does anybody ever neglect their duty to the church in their pursuit of financial prosperity? How about lying to get what you want? How about stepping on others to get to the top? Selfishness. Again, looking out for number one. Stealing. If you can't earn it, just take it. Drunkenness. Let's party. Let's fit in with the crowd because we have to make sure we are advancing socially in order to attain what we want to attain. Licentiousness. When we have wealth, we can have what we want, right? You want some of that? Go get it. The foolish symbols of wealth become important. Our clothes, cars, jewelry, vacations, land, entertainment. We assume others are impressed. I don't normally tell jokes in the sermon. I've already told one. And so the second one. This guy was getting out of his car in New York City, parallel parked. He got out and had just stepped in front of the car. Uh, he had left the door open and a car came by and took the door off of his BMW. And he was just in a rage. My BMW, my BMW. And some guy came by and said, sir, your left arm is missing. He said, my Rolex, my Rolex. It might be easy to miss my point completely. I'm not saying Christians should be unsuccessful or unsociable dullards wearing 20-year-old fashions. I'm sorry if I just stepped on your toes. There is no virtue, though, in shabbiness. The problem is that the heart is in the heart that seeks glory for itself rather than in God. So here's a test. Do your possessions have any impact on whether you are faithful to God? I know people who will work rather than worship. I know poor people who would tithe and rich people who don't. God was way more pleased with the widow and her two mites than he was with some rich people who had probably put a lot more than that in the plate that day. The third thing we see from this text is that the desire for possessions might lead to destruction and perdition. Proverbs 27.20 Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. Proverbs 11.4 and 28 Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. He who trusts in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Mark 10:23 through 25 then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words but Jesus answered again and said to them children how hard is it for those who trust in riches To enter the kingdom of God, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This ruin and destruction refers both to the present uh, and uh, the immediate, things like debt, overindulgence, bitterness, envy, theft, guilt, but also to the future, including eternal destruction or perdition. The idols of wealth invite us to place our hopes on them instead of God. They tell us that taking is better than giving. They tempt us to cover uh, to covet what our neighbor has. They convince us that we've been wrong because we don't possess as much as we desire, and so we become bitter about that. They pervert our sense of justice. In Luke 12, 15-21, and Jesus said to them, "'Take heed and beware of covetousness, "'for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses.' And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, "'The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, "'and he thought within himself, saying, "'What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops?' So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Fourth, love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Rich and poor alike are prone to love money and be covetous. See, this is not a sin that's just for the rich. You can love money and be very poor. Proverbs 38 and 9, remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God? The problem isn't the money or the possessions in and of themselves. The problem is the sinful lust legitimate things. turning them into the reason for our existence. Perhaps it's the false sense of security that you get from having a great portfolio and you check it often. Maybe you're not out spending. maybe you don't maybe you're very frugal. You're, maybe you're a penny pincher, but you love that little pile of money you've got. That's what gives you your security. Again, the focus comes back to the heart, the inner attitude, which is the root of our actions as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so I would urge you to examine your heart even now. Is your time spent thinking about what you want next and how to get it? Or is it directed toward the pursuit of godliness? Covetousness often leads people into evil. Many who own much are not satisfied because their neighbor owns a small piece of what they want. Alexander the Great reportedly lamented that there were no more worlds to conquer. King Ahab and Jezebel murdered Naboth for his vineyard. And how about King David? A man who was described as a man after God's own heart. Do you remember his great sin with Bathsheba and how Nathan the prophet described in a parable what he had done? Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was aroused greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Fifth, greed has caused many to stray from the faith. Note the following Greek word, strayed means to stretch out, to indulge, or to be devoted to something else, to wander like the planets, or to be seduced. Let him who stands take heed. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and mammon or money. This temptation to stray from the faith is why elders must be free from the love of money. It takes a steady hand to carry a full cup. And I would just note too, sexual temptation is another powerful material force Which seduces people to abandon their commitment to Christ. The balance is always hard to maintain in the Christian life. To enjoy the material world without becoming idolatrous or adulterous. To work hard and be good at what we do without having uh, work and advancement and more money become our gods. To not compromise the faith when we fear it might cost us materially. In short, it is hard to be a Christian in a fallen material world. Here's a test. Has your work caused you to forget why you work? The Bible says you're to work to provide for your family, but has your work become more important than your family? Has your work become more important than worship and church? The Bible also says that you are to work with your hands what is good, that you might have something to give to him who has need. I was just, this thought crossed my head. You know, sometimes you say, well, I don't have very much extra. You actually do. But I know that's relative. What if you just said, look, as a matter of principle, I am going to, at least, every week, I'm going to give away a dollar. Now, you can give away more than a dollar. But what if you said... I'm not going to let a week go by that I don't give a dollar to somebody who needs it more than me. And you have to be creative to figure out how to do that. Maybe you'd wait and give four dollars at the end of the month. But on average, I'm going to do at least that so that it becomes a habit because that's one of the reasons I work is so that I have something to give to somebody who needs more than, has a need greater than mine. You think there is anybody in the world that has a need greater than yours? Just a thought. And sixth, and last, greed has caused many to pierce themselves with many sorrows. Note the following Greek words to pierce is to put on a spit. Sorrow means grief, pain, distress, torment, bodily or mentally. Overloaded ships often sink, and ships that get off course often wind up on the rocks. Or what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Would you really trade more, more possessions for eternal life? The people Paul is speaking of in this text are professing Christians or do you think that perhaps you are the exception to the rule? Do you remember the problem with a rich young ruler? On the face of it, he wanted to be a follower of God. But when the real test came, in effect, Jesus said to him, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and money. And you need to do it now. Mark 10, 22. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at the word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I mentioned this verse earlier, but recall the words of Jesus to the multitude that was considering following him. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I think tithing is a great barometer. Remember, tithing is an inescapable concept. I'm not going to tell you to tithe because you're already tithing. Everybody tithes. I don't have time to develop that theological argument, but I could do so. Um, but let me just say I believe everybody ties to something or someone, and whatever you're giving your tithe to is your God. A person who ties tends to be faithful, a person who ties to God tends to be faithful in other areas of his life. They tend to give in every way. They tend to more than tithe, and they tend to be generous. So, let me wrap all this up, the whole series. Luke 12:22. Therefore I tell you, uh, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus says, for your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and those things will be added to you. Spurgeon said, it's not how much we have, but how much we enjoy that makes us happy. Psalm 1611, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. True contentment is a thing, uh, Chesterton said, as active as agriculture, it is the power of getting out of any situation, all that's in it. It is arduous and it is rare. So, Very quickly, it turned out I had six points for each of the three sermons. I'm just going to give you the bullet points here just as a reminder and we'll be done. Six steps to learn how to live a contented life. First, learn to give thanks in all things. Second, learn to rest or trust in God's providence. Third, learn to be satisfied with little. Fourth, learn to live above life's circumstances because God's above the circumstances. Fifth, learn to rely on God's power and His provision and finally, become preoccupied with the well-being of others. So that's a foundation for learning to be content. Second, learning to be content with our position, whether that's our jobs or our roles in life, the stations that we occupy, or just, uh, you know, maybe we're sick, or maybe we're out of town, or maybe we're under, uh, like we are right now, different circumstances that are going on in our country. So here are the six things. I said six. Actually, it looks like I only had five here. So I'll give you five. First, our position is by the Lord's distribution. That's what our, the text said. He has distributed. He, he, gave, he, he made you who you are with the gifts that you have, and he put you were born when you were supposed to be born, and he's put you where you're supposed to be. Second, our position carries a primary responsibility, which whatever that job is, whatever he's given us to do, to do it with all our might. Third, our position shouldn't overly concern us. It's okay to have some concerns, to want to change, and so forth, but we're not to be consumed by that. Fourth, our position may be improved if we have the opportunity. He says if you're a slave and you can stop being a slave and you can be free, go for it. Fifth, our position, though, must be faithfully performed. Whatever God's called us to, we should be the best at it. We should, we should serve Him In those positions. And then today, just to review, learning contentment with our possessions. First, the desire for riches leads to temptation and a snare. Second, desire for riches provokes many foolish and harmful lust. Desire for possessions might lead us uh, to destruction and perdition. Fourth, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Fifth, greed has caused many to stray from the faith. And six, greed has caused many to pierce themselves with many sorrows. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, You are the giver of life and the giver of salvation. You gave us Your only begotten Son. You redeemed us from slavery and set us free. By Your grace, You have freely given us faith that we might receive Your salvation and abundant life. Indeed, You have freely given us All things, above and beyond all that we could ask or think. By your love, you have poured out the Holy Spirit in our hearts. You have blessed us with spiritual gifts. You have promised us an inheritance which is incorruptible and will not fade away. And so help us, Lord, to have giving hearts, to be faithful and cheerful givers, to show forth our gratitude for all that you have given us, that we might trust in you and truly learn how to be content in every circumstance. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.